Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally. And we and our guests here discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of our friends at CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us for the final installment of our quarterly Introduction to Food will be Dr. David Usher to talk about carbohydrates and weight loss tips, since we've already covered an introduction to food, fats, and proteins. So before getting into the topic, I think off-air, Andrew and I were talking, and Andrew has a great Catholic public service announcement that he would like to make, led in by a story. Yeah, I just looking out for for our listeners who are my friends here. Wish wish somebody had me for this one, but yesterday we were kind of uh, sitting around talking to to my father in law, who's a really good guy, staying with us at the moment, and my wife, and we were just commenting. Um, he actually got really sick with COVID and was sending a thank you note to to the priest that came and saw him in the hospital, gave him last rites. He did okay. But uh, he put some money in there as a donation for the church. And I said, oh, man, that's very generous. You know, I've, I haven't heard of that before. And he said, what do you mean? You know, you're, you're supposed to do that when, uh, you know, if, if people get married or if you have a baptism or, or something like that, if, if it's customary to give the priest a, a small token just because you appreciate what they're doing. And I said, I think you're off base, Ken. I've I've never heard of this. I've got seven kids, did a million baptisms, all this stuff. I've never heard of this. And uh, of course, I was homeschooled, so there's a few social things that I, I've missed. Um, I immediately write my brother and I said, you know, hey, Matt, have you ever heard of this? He's like, oh yeah, man, everybody knows that. What the, what the heck have you been doing? And I wrote my, my brother-in-law, who's a priest, I said, does everybody know this? He says, yeah, everybody knows this. They, your priests probably think you're really a big cheapskate uh, or you don't appreciate them. <laughs> And <laughs> so we were kind of just laughing about it. Uh, you know, that's the story of my life, just constantly learning new things and eating crow. So uh, I'm still Did trying your father-in-law to... give you a penance for this? You know, he didn't. Uh, but I, I think <laughs> the conversation might have been penance enough if I was to dole out a penance, because he was really laying into me, where, where do you get <laughs> off? I mean, how did you not know this? You know, I can't believe they still let you into church. And uh, we were just laughing about it. So as, as a public service announcement from a guy who missed this on the first seven baptisms we've had, um, <laughs> it's customary to give a little gift to your priests when they're going out of their way to have a baptism for your kid. So support your local priests and uh, we, our local priests. Uh, I love you guys. And I'm going to try and make it up to you in some way. <laughs> here, here. Well, well done, Andrew. Good, good vulnerability there. So, back to our topic: uh, carbohydrates and weight loss tips. Why is this important, Andrew? You, you probably don't know anything about this in the family practice realm, do you? You know, it's so funny. in In family medicine, I never thought that the the whole weight loss and diet would be a big part of my life. I thought we were going to be doing significant diseases and always <laughs> curing diseases and medicines. And uh, that's not the case. I, I talk this, about this a lot, and I would hesitate to say that probably most of our listeners have thought about carbohydrates in the last month in, in one way or another. And largely because it's, it's one of the most populous types of calories that are eaten for the bad in a lot of ways. And that's what we're going to get into this episode, but not always. I mean, uh, there's definitely many things we consider healthy that are carbohydrate-based, but the devil's in the details, and that's why I'm happy we got somebody like Dr. Usher to help point us in the right direction. Yeah, we even talked about it in a recent show. It came up from our guests, uh, who are both public health docs, uh, Paul Carson, Paul Cizak, mentioning how we really got it wrong that it's not so much the fats in the blood are increased by eating fats, but as much by eating carbohydrates. So it was good to have that confirmed by a whole different avenue of doctor experts. Now, how much carbs do we eat? Well, in the United States, an average of 133 pounds of flour per person per year. And that doesn't count other types of grains or potatoes. Man, that's, that's, an, that's a lot of carb. That's an awful lot. I mean, but you think about it. I mean, there are really carbs in everything. And all you have to do is 
talk to somebody who's trying to avoid carbohydrates for dietary purposes or count them, especially if someone's diabetic, holy smokes, there are carbs everywhere you look. Uh, yes. And as uh, Dave Usher has mentioned in previous episodes, there are no essential carbohydrates. There are essential amino acids, the building blocks of proteins, and there are essential fatty acids, things that we have to get from food. But we could never eat a carb and be healthy. And, and that probably sounds like heresy to some people. Isn't that crazy? You know, I, I always kind of envision carbs as the filler, you know, where you've got, I, I think of, you know, kind of the stereotypical little old lady in the nursing home who can't keep her weight up and we're trying to get her to gain weight. And you give her a shake, which has protein, which is good. But really, if it comes down to ice cream, let's give her ice cream to try and keep her weight up. <laughs> but I mean, carbs are, a lot of times, that's what they are. They're kind of filler, aren't they, Tom? That's the way I look at it now on my plate. It's not necessarily the tastiest, but there's a, a certain craving for it. And they've even shown that in the brain, there is a circuit of craving for carbs that is similar to cravings for things that people can be addicted to. It's pretty incredible. A lot of people talk about the carb addiction, especially when they're trying to adjust their diet. That's that's the time when they feel it the most. But it, I know, Tom, you, you had said that it's the number one source of calories for Americans. Is that right? Yes, and particularly among carbs, it's baked desserts that are the number one source of carb calories. There are not and a lot of protein-based desserts that I've had, although I'd be open to trying. <laughs> that if, that if, sounds if, like if an we have recipes, send them in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my questions. So, if I want a snack, and the answer I usually get is don't snack. It's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> So uh, in, in some further research into the world of grains, it's like there's actually three parts of grains. There's a fiber and we hear, well, that's the good stuff that helps keep us regular. It's the rough stuff on the outside of the grain. But then on the inside of the grain, there, there's two parts. There's the germ and that's the good healthy part with the vitamins, the minerals, all the nutrients, protein and fats. But then where does the carb come from? The third component called the endosperm. And this is the energy for the plant. So if the plant's going to grow, that's what its initial influx of energy comes from to start growing toward the sunlight and put down roots away from the sunlight. And in the United States, our government subsidizes farmers to grow millions of acres of these grains, you know, amber waves of grain, right after Purple Mountain's majesty, you know, wow. So there you go. It's, it's really incredible. And so I, I think one of our goals for this episode is to try and help listeners learn how modern medicine is starting to think about how carbohydrates um, might not be the best thing for you and identify how this might be different than how we thought about it even 30 or 40 years ago. So going forward, you can make good decisions about your diet. And now it's time for the medical trivia question of the day. For the first time in Dr. Doctor history, I got to my script and I didn't have a question there. So I had to invent one on the fly. Here we go. It's still going to deal with carbohydrates. And the, the question is going to be a breakdown enzyme for carbohydrates. What's the name of the, the enzyme colloquially? And it's named after a 17th century saint. Niels Stenson, among other things, was an anatomist. And he has something named after him in the human body that carries something that breaks down carbohydrates so our body can digest it. What is the structure named after St. Niels Stenson and what does it carry? You're going to have to wait until the end of the show to figure out the answer and to see if I can come up with it by then here on Dr. Doctor. <laughs> We're back with our special guest today, Dave Usher, back for the fourth time of Dr. Doctor on carbs and weight loss pearls. Dave founded Reform Medicine in 2011 in and around Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He's a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine and the American Board of Family Medicine. And for seven years in the past, he was medical director for the Weight Management Services Department at Mayo Clinic in Eau Claire. Dave, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Hi, Tom. Great to see you and Andrew as well. So why don't we start by reviewing what are some important big points that listeners should know about carbohydrates? Probably the biggest thing that I tell people is uh, if you think ancestrally about carbohydrates and the diet, there really is not much of a place for them. Uh, the way, if you look back 100,000 years or so in our history, 
we were still our species, Homo sapiens sapiens, and we did not spend a lot of uh, time and energy uh, looking for carb-rich foods. They just didn't really exist uh, in the in the wild and in our environment. This was, of course, before civilization, before agriculture, before uh, farming, uh, before we could process foods. Maybe we didn't even know how to really cook things back then. So um, there wasn't a whole lot in the way of of what we think of now as uh, carbohydrate-rich foods. Uh, fruits and vegetables were smaller, they were harder to find, they weren't grown in nice rows, uh, nor harvested easily by hand or machine. It was just, there was, you'd have to spend so much energy hunting up these ratty little roots and um, <laughs> so on. That, uh, there, I mean, it really was a negative energy thing. It would, would not pay to do that. Uh, and and then um, they wouldn't be in season all year round, so you would you would only eat what was in season if you could find it. And uh, so if you think of it kind of that way to start with, um, what makes sense is that uh, protein and fat rich, mostly animal products, um, would be the thing that's in season year round, and people would move to where the food was so they could follow a herd or schools of fish or seals or whales or whatever those things were, and they, they knew how to take those things and either boil them in fat and they could, or salt them or dry them, and they could eat those all year round. Uh, and that protein and fat-rich animal product basically never went out of season. And that's Dave, true still today. You can, if we were allowed to with DNR rules and such, um, <laughs> if you had to, you could exist on wild game if you needed to all year round. David, it, it kind of sounds like historically it's almost unnatural the amount of carbohydrates that we take in our normal American diets currently. Is that fair to say? Oh, I would say that's exactly right. Yes, you na nailed it, Andrew. It's just completely unnatural. If it, um, if it is so unnatural, my follow-up question is, why do I like them so much? What's yeah. The deal there? <laughs> that's a great question. Well, the way I think of it and explain it to patients is that while – Fruits and vegetables don't exist all year round in the wild. There were some that would exist in the wild at, during certain times of the year. And if we can, having lived in Alaska for a couple of years, I've seen this uh, firsthand. Uh, the big grizzly bears, uh, who you think of as big, nasty, killer meat eaters, would go around and forage on wild berries. And, um, and they would do this during the time of year when they were trying to build up uh, fat for the winter. So, but that was only a certain time of year. Um, they would mow down on as many as they could get their lips around. And I imagine in human beings, we have a certain, uh, I, I know we have a, the same kind of drive. We get a, a, a boost in our uh, serotonin levels and our dopamine levels in our brain uh, that associate these foods with that sensation of, wow, this is really yummy. I call these yay factor. They got a lot of yay factor. <laughs> so, yay, we're going to have chocolate cake or whatever we're having. So literally, these foods, uh, like anything else that will stimulate dopamine quickly, uh, can be very addicting. They can raise our mood. And so people get, this is why people stress eat, because they chow down on, you know, a couple of donuts or something. And for a little while, their mood goes up. Of course, unfortunately, on the backside of that, their mood will plummet and their anxiety levels will go up <laughs> and so forth when their serotonin levels drop. But we're designed to take advantage of those times when um, sweet things, for example, berries are in season because it's an advantage to us 100,000 years ago to store a little fat for winter because those people who don't store a little extra fat might starve, right? Just like wild animals in the wild today. You know, if there's a bad cold winter up here in Wisconsin, uh, there'll be a big deer kill off because there's just not enough food available and the deer that haven't uh, put, socked away enough fat for winter uh, may not make it. So um, I think that's why we're designed to love those foods so much. Yeah, you made a great point. So really, outside of human beings, are there any animals that naturally consume year-round a high percentage of calories as carbs? Yes, there are, um, but not carnivores. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. You have ruminants, you know, uh, deer and so forth, um, and they uh, animals that can create energy out of uh, cell walls, which we can't do. We call right. that fiber. Animals call that an energy source. C certain animals call that an energy source. So, um, but we're not designed to do that. We don't digest uh, plant 
cell walls in that way. Um, it's, it's a different kind of critter and that is what things like psyllium husk or metamucil do for us if we take them for fiber. They, they stay in our gut and they don't get digested and we don't make energy out of them. Excellent. Well, one way I've seen people try to say there are healthy and unhealthy carbohydrates is by talking about the glycemic index. What is that and how important is it? Well, the glycemic index seemed to be a thing that might be important and an and a interesting, a good way to look at uh, the effects of food basically on, on the speed at which our blood sugar changes. So if you eat something that's really rapidly digestible and gets sucked into your bloodstream really fast from our, um, from our GI tract or our gut, a high glycemic food would really shoot your blood sugar up fast. Something that's lower glycemic index would take longer to raise your blood sugar because it uh, takes more um, time to digest it and to absorb it into the bloodstream. And so a high glycemic food would be something that's really simple sugar that has um, either table sugar or even just plain old glucose or fructose, something like that, that you just suck right into your bloodstream. Whereas this gets to the whole conversation about the difference uh, we thought uh, between simple carbohydrates and complex carbohydrates or sugars and starches. Uh, and starches would take longer to break down and therefore your glycemic index would be lower and so on. Uh, but it turns out glycemic index isn't all that with regard to uh, being able to control health and diabetes and so forth. Uh, there's another measure called glycemic, glycemic load. load. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And glycemic load really just talks about the, the entire amount of carbohydrate effect on your blood sugar total. It's kind of like area under the curve. If you think of it, um, you know, mathematically or calculus. Yes. Um, so uh, it's really that, that total amount of effect on your blood glucose as a result of eating that food that you ate and not necessarily the rate of change from, you know, a blood sugar of 90 to a blood sugar of 150. Now, Dave, these, these measurements are not quite on the back of the boxes, but a lot of people like to talk about them, especially people around diabetes trying to watch the carbs they're eating. Are these things useful for us to think about when, when we're not diabetic, especially just the average person, or are they not that helpful? Um, these things, meaning the glycemic load and the glycemic index, mm -hmm. I don't think they're helpful at all, frankly. I think it's a, a distraction. It's like a head fake. Uh, if we can get people talking about something <laughs> uh, complicated, they'll miss the simple uh, thing uh, right in front of them. Which, uh, which I've been is, doing for maybe five or 10 years until you said it there. I wish I had had you in my brain 10 years ago telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You, you know, the, the numbers that people do see a lot on, on the back of the box is they talk about carbs, the total carbs or the net carbs. What's the difference with those measurements and how should we use those numbers? Well, this is a great question. This hits right at the essence of it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, total carbohydrate uh, is, it's really sly. I, you, I, this is really sinister in my opinion, but... Uh, um, but I'm biased. Uh, so total carbohydrate is if you add up the sugar, the starch and the fiber and in some foods, if they use sugar alcohols, I think they consider sugar alcohols to be um, a carbohydrate as well. Um, but in most foods, it's going to be total carbohydrate is the, is the sum of uh, net carbs I'm sorry, the sum of uh, sugars, starches, and fiber. Um, if you look at those nutrition labels uh, closely, what you'll notice is they don't, they'll list sugars and they might list as a subheading of that added sugar as if somehow that's beneficial. Um, and then, <laughs> and then they'll list fiber and all those in grams, right? So if you have a total, total carb load of uh, 40 grams in a serving of this food and 10 is sugar and six is fiber. What's that of the 24 grams? Well, that's starch. Oh, well, they don't have to list starch, you see. Um, ah. And, and so you don't, if you don't list starch, then people don't talk about it and you don't get a dietitian telling you to watch your starches because people read the label and go, I don't even know where starch is. That's too confusing for me. Um, so starch is effectively sugar. 
uh, it's part of that glycemic load that you eat when you have um, your total carbohydrates. Um, and so if they don't list a number there, then people might not notice that there's all that starch sitting in there as well, contributing to their glycemic load. So total carbohydrate, most of the time, if you ignore sugar alcohols for the moment, foods that contain sugar alcohols, most of the time, therefore, uh, net carbs is total carbs minus fiber. And the fiber really doesn't add to our glycemic load. Is that correct? Correct. If it does, we can't it's digest it. Yeah, just barely any at all. Is whole grains a useful term? Um, it depends on what you want to achieve with it. <laughs> um, biblically, if uh, Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath are walking through a field and they're grabbing kernels of, corn, kernels of wheat off the wheat stalks and eating them while they're walking, that would be whole grain. But basically everything that's sold as whole grain uh, in the U.S. food market, um, nearly everything that's sold as whole grain isn't. And the way the marketing the term has been used for marketing uh, is they'll talk about whole, it's a whole grain, um, but in some way most all of these grains have been processed uh, in some way, right? Even steel-cut oats um, are, right. are oats that have been chopped in some way to make them more palatable and more edible, and then you have to cook them. So when you cook them, you lose something from them as well, so they're not really whole. And so when I have this conversation, here's, here's the pearl. When I have this conversation with people and they ask me about whole grains, I'll tell them, eat the grain that you grow, harvest, and, and um, eat raw, and that would be a whole grain. Otherwise, somebody else has touched it and they've done something to process it. And it's not really whole in the sense that I, you know, when I think of whole grain, I think everything that was there when it came off the plant is there. But by the time these things get processed some way and sold and shipped and stored on a shelf somewhere in a grocery store for a month, those things are not whole grains. They have to be, they have to be made edible or pal palatable somehow. It's very, very rare that I would see anything that I think is truly a whole grain, anything. And then when you process that further into something like um, a cereal or a spaghetti noodle or something like that, now you really, uh, there's no, no evidence of anything whole in those at all. And yet they can label them whole grain and sell them as if they're somehow, somehow a health food. When, when we're at the grocery store and we're trying to get bread for sandwiches, my wife really likes to get the dry bread with the little kernels that get stuck in your teeth. And it's labeled oh, whole grain, but right. the white bread tastes so much better. Is the whole <laughs> grain healthier for you? Well, <laughs> I guess it depends on, again, what you think of as what's healthy. There may be more fiber, certainly, and something that's got those little chunks of, uh, of grain in there. Um, and you can read the nutrition label and see if you think there's anything there. From an obesity standpoint, one of those uh, chunky, heavy whole grainy type of um, slices of bread still has 15 or 16 or more grams of net carbohydrate, just like the white bread does. Um, but it's more expensive. It's heavier. <laughs> it might be more filling because it has more fiber in it. Um, so if you eat two slices instead of three, maybe there's some beneficial or one instead of two, maybe that would be somehow beneficial. But generally I think of the differences as, um, as negligible or very small when it comes to weight management in any case. So does that mean for weight management, there's no such thing as sandwiches in the diet? Uh, from my perspective, I try to discourage people from eating too much of any type of bread. There are some breads that are out there you can find that are supposedly two grams or one gram or zero grams of carbohydrate per slice. And um, when patients are really clamoring for something that they can just put around their piece of meat and call it a sandwich. Sometimes they'll try those. And I don't have any data to tell you whether or not those are actually real numbers as to the net carbs and the, you know, the total glycemic load and a couple slices of those types of bread. Some people will say they don't taste very good. And other people say tastes like manna from heaven to me because I haven't had <laughs> bread in four months. Uh, so, uh, so they're just happy. To, they're glad to have anything they, they can get, but, um, so, but generally, yeah, I kind of, I, the way I instruct people about that is kind of, again, kind of think ancestrally, 
sandwiches weren't, everybody thinks a sandwich is something that's just natural human food. It's what we all do. It's a cultural <laughs> yes. phenomenon, you know, but it's not anthropologically speaking. It's not something that we evolved on uh, because we didn't survive because we had sandwiches. You know, a, a question that I, I talk to patients a lot about revolves around fruits as a source of carbohydrates, mostly diabetic patients who are trying to eat healthy and they eat a huge amount of food, uh, fruit because it tastes good and it's not pasta. From an obesity perspective, is fruit good for us? No. Uh, to elaborate wow. on that. That was, I was, that was, that, to, to make that a berries? simple I berries no. might be the best. <laughs> no. Uh, fruit, but I've heard uh, that is, berries might be the best. If there is, uh, yes. Now there are degrees of um, uh, danger, let's say. Um, yeah, a handful of berries, if you're looking for something sweet after dinner, you know, a half a cup or something of raspberries or strawberries, blackberries, those are pretty low in carbohydrate relative to things like bananas. I mean, everybody's favorite, right, is bananas. I, when I have these conversations with people, it's like, oh, I love bananas. Yes, great. Usually with you know, ice cream. <laughs> bananas <laughs> are the worst. Especially with ice cream. Grapes are the are are next. Dried fruits are are terrible because they just pull the water and the weight out, and now you're just eating essentially pure pure carbohydrate. But uh, fruit sugar, fructose, uh, is is really there's no biological process that's served by fructose uh, in the human system, right? So if we eat fructose, it has to be converted to glucose in the process, and that happens in the liver. And in the process of uh, doing that. Uh, the liver starts to crank out palmitate or fat, which is palmitate is a free fatty acid that's toxic to blood vessels uh, and causes disease. Uh, and it's really, as I understand, it's really the only fat that the liver can produce. And fructose, when we eat it, which, by the way, table sugar is half fructose. So whenever we eat table sugar, um, half of that what's going in is glucose and the other half is fructose. So that fructose has to be converted to glucose in a pathway through the liver that results in that production of free fatty acids. And those things are inflammatory and not good for us. And on that note, we're going to take a break here on Dr. Doctor and come to some more fascinating information with Dave Usher on carbohydrates and weight loss. And we are back with Dr. Doctor talking to Dr. Dave Usher about America's favorite calorie source, carbohydrates. Uh, whether it should be or not is one of the things we're delving into. And Dave, I'd like to ask you kind of a, a hardball question of sorts. One of the things I love about this show is we get lots of listener feedback and some good feedback we got was, you know, this the idea that carbs are largely bad for you does not correlate exactly with some other major association's dietary advice. And so my question is, what what does the American Heart Association and the American Dietetic Association get right and get wrong about carbohydrate-related recommendations? Uh, well, Andrew, those are, that's a really great question. And I you're not the first one to ask me in there. The question's always a little nuanced um, because there's some politics involved in the answer. So, um, but basically, uh, the American Heart Association, everybody kind of knows about who they are. The American Dietetics Association is now called something different, by the way. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. Oh. The American no. Nutrition Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Ah, um, thank you. Uh, whose, whose mission, according to the USDA, is um, improving the nation's health and uh Advancing the profession of dietetics, <laughs> um, which is interesting. Sounds kind of self-serving. Um, <laughs> uh, most professional associations are. But anyway, so there's the politics of it. Um, so I went to uh, those two websites. I went to the American Heart Association to see what their dietary recommendations were. And I went to the, um, the uh, I guess they call it the AND um, and, uh, website. Uh, to see what their recommendations were. And basically, interestingly enough, uh, the the dietetics group um, really didn't leave much out there. There was always something like, um, click here to be referred to a dietetic professional, um, ah. which is, again, um, 
Right. So sales and so forth. I get it. It's all good. But on the one page, uh, they had the basics of the nutrition facts label. This is about the most I could find perusing through their website. And they list, list uh, seven steps uh, as to what to do uh, with a food label. Um, and they, you know, they're just going to talk about what different things are. But uh, in the couple of things that looked like they were kind of giving advice, uh, one was step five, and that was about eating less saturated fat. It had added sugars and sodium, uh, talking about saturated fat and trans fats being linked to heart disease. Um, too much added sugar makes it difficult to meet nutrient needs within your calorie requirements. High levels of sodium can add up to high blood pressure, and remember to aim for a low percentage of these. Anybody got a takeaway from any of that? <laughs> Seems I'm superficial. Holy man, that's confusing, right? I look at that and go, I yes. don't, even, I don't, I don't know what they said. Uh, so, um, and then there's step seven, which talks about considering the added nutrients, uh, and these are basically carbohydrates and sugars. Those they are call them nutrients. nutrients. I see. Interest. <laughs> Interesting. And then buying carbohydrates, they basically say there's three types of carbohydrates, sugar, starch, and fiber. And it says eat whole grain bread, cereals, rice, and pasta, plus fruits and vegetables. And that's all they say about that. Wow. So uh, no then, specific recommendations. And then after sugars, it says simple carbs or sugars occur naturally in foods such as fruit and milk or come from refined sources such as table sugar or corn syrup. And then get this. This is the kit. This is here's the money, the money line. 20 to 2025 dietary guidelines for Americans put out by none other than our United States Department of Agriculture. Um, recommends that foods and beverages with added sugars be avoided by children under two, but individuals two years of age and older should consume no more than 10% of their daily calories from added sugars. We'll let that sink in for a second, and I'll do some quick math for you. If you are an average-sized person with an average-sized calorie consumption of, say, 1,500 calories per day, most people think that'd be pretty restrictive. They would call that a low-calorie diet. Most Americans would. And you're eating 10% of that's 150 calories of added sugar. This is I'm going by their recommendations now. No more than 10%. Sure. That's 150 calories of sugar, and if there's four calories per gram. Now we're talking about 40 grams of sugar, added sugars a day, right? And that's like eight teaspoons of, of added sugars. That's, that's their, that doesn't, maybe that doesn't sound like much to a lot of people, but wow, that's a lot of sugar. Um, to it be saying glad you eat that every day, right? Um, just seems crazy to me. But anyway, that's as much as I could find on the, the dietetic website. On the and the American Heart Association. Association. Yes. Our association website um, uh, gave me something more like um, a list of stuff that you're used to hearing. And, um, oh, here it is. Now, this one's, this one's more like what you're seeing a wide variety of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, and products made up mostly of whole grains. Healthy sources of proteins, of course, that's mostly plants, such as legumes and nuts, fish and seafood, low fat or non fat dairy. And if you eat meat and poultry, ensuring it is lean and unprocessed. Liquid non-tropical vegetable oils, uh, implying that solid fats would be bad for you, like butter. Uh, minimally processed foods, minimize intake of added sugars, uh, foods prepared with little or no salt, and limited or preferably no alcohol intake. Uh, and then basically apply this guidance wherever food is prepared or consumed. Um, and then, so that's basically, that's what we're used to hearing, right? All of that stuff. Mike, And they have this whole thing called the heart check. Have you guys heard of that or seen that on any things in the grocery store? There's a little emblem on there. It's got a little black check mark on a red background. I've seen that years ago, but I haven't seen it in a long time. And I went to the grocery store locally here, big one. It's got lots and lots of variety. I didn't see it on a single food item. And yet it's still on their website. And they introduced it back in 1995 or so. Uh, yeah, roughly 1995. Um, and then they said, why should you trust the heart check, the heart check mark? Um, and then they refer to a single 2014 study um, that basically shows a very limited benefit of if the group that eats the highest amount of these compared to the group that eats the lowest, 
has about a 25% reduction in eating unhealthily. Hmm. But so overweight and metabolic syndrome, I think, were about 25% less. So all the things that we think of as risk factors for heart disease, such as uh, uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, high triglycerides, uh, even LDL cholesterol, LDL um, and low HDL cholesterol, blood sugar, none of those got better by eating their health check foods. Even the people who had the highest amount, the quarter of the people who had the highest amount in that study of people. And that data came out of the NHANES study, which is a big ongoing uh, nutritional study yes. uh, years wide. Dave, um, I guess my, my kind of overarching question is, you know, we hear these, and you had even mentioned these are things we're used to hearing, the idea of balanced, um, and balance sounds so good to us. Are, are these these types of advice are they just behind the times or um, going low carbohydrate? Is that specific, specifically good to avoid becoming obese or to lose weight? Is low carb good for avoiding obesity and losing weight? Yeah. Or is, is it, it or is only it, good for that? Or is it good for everybody and the AHA has got to get with the program? Well, again, I, without getting too political, I would say follow the money. Um, as an obesity doctor, um, you could look at me and say, well, he doesn't want to give away too much because then he'd have no patients. Um, <laughs> American Heart Association, if they prevented all the heart disease, what would they do? I don't know. Um, but I'm kind of being tongue-in-cheek about that a little bit. But what I would say is low-carb is good for everybody. Again, think ancestrally. How many people 100,000 years ago were eating high-carb diets? They just didn't. And, and they, we survived as a species beautifully. And we did until about 15,000 years ago when kind of we settled down and became, if not civilized, we were at least settled in one location and we could actually grow things and figured out how to, to farm and, and have agricultural kind of things uh, and so on. So, um, but low carb, if you look at the, the flip side of that, where that one study that they mention as the reason to trust their health checkmark the flip side of that is you can point to other studies, uh, and I won't quote the lengthy name of this one, that I saw at an obesity medicine study um, um, conference I was at, but basically it said everything got better on a low-carb diet um, except for the LDL concentration. And when you get in down into the weeds on LDL and recognize that with um, a low carb diet with high with a high carb diet, your LDL particle size gets smaller, and the number gets bigger. But your your LDL C can actually look okay. But when you look at the particle size, it's small and deadly LDL. You get people on a low carb diet, and you actually lower their particle number, and you increase the size to a bigger, fluffier, healthier LDL. And that's the only thing they said didn't get better, even though LDL particle number did get better. Everything else got better on a low-carb diet. Blood pressures, so good. C-reactive proteins, insulin levels, the whole so good bottom line thing. for our listeners is that just about every health parameter related to eating gets better with a low-carb versus high-carb diet. Correct. Now, let's get to your bread and butter, which is helping patients lose weight. You made an astounding claim to me earlier off-air that I want you to, to tell our listeners you said that you can lose weight and never have to be hungry. Is, is this pie in the sky, pun intended? <laughs> <laughs> I like that, Tom. That was great. Meat pie in the sky. <laughs> um, um, uh, Mrs. Tweety's chicken pie. Uh, no, it's um, <laughs> yes. yeah. it is true. Touch, right? yes. it's, it's our instructions to our patients. It's listed right in the little... Um, uh, directions that we give them is that we don't want you to be hungry. We don't want you to be at risk for the behaviors that cause you to overeat and go serotonin and dopamine surfing. Um, we want you to, <laughs> if you start feeling hungry, we want you to eat something. Um, but the thing you eat is the protein. Um, so that protein is very satisfying. It's the thing that, that the body is built from. And um, it's people just don't tend to overeat protein by itself. If you bread it and deep fry it, um, 
then they might overeat it. Uh, but generally, uh, if it just comes to putting a big stack of meat on a plate and saying, here you go, buddy, you can have a bottomless um, T-bone steak <laughs> and we'll keep bringing you more. I mean, people just get full and they're, they're very satisfied. They're like, nope, I'm good. I don't need another one. Um, but they do that with bottomless French fries and they'll just keep, keep bringing them or, or another plate of bread and so forth because that carbohydrate just does not have the same uh, satiety effect or satiation effect that the protein does. And the protein will keep you satisfied for a much longer period of time. So if you get a good, if you're going to eat breakfast, you don't want to eat a high carb breakfast because in a couple of hours, your, your sugar levels will start to drop and you'll start to feel hungry and sometimes reactively hypoglycemic. And that makes you just, just not so hungry and you'll eat anything in your environment. So we try to keep people from being hungry to prevent that, um, whatever that behavior, eating behavior was that got them the overweight or obesity in the first place. And protein is the perfect tool for that. Dave, I wonder if we could do a little bit of myth busting, um, traditional dietary advice. So one thing that I'll hear sometimes is that oatmeal is good for you and you should eat more of it, especially the, the steel cut oats, uh, that they're particularly healthy. Is that true? I would say, show me your evidence. How do you define health? Um, you could, they'll, good. Put little, they'll put little claims on there, you know, little heart healthy thing, whatever they're all doing on TV these days. Um, uh, as part of a regular diet may help lower cholesterol. That's what it says right on there. Um, that's a lot of, a lot of conditionals. <laughs> if you don't put a tablespoon of brown sugar and a quarter of a cup of raisins <laughs> and then some skim milk on this, uh, it may help lower your cholesterol. Um, but it's really that, I mean, that's as solid as I can see. Um, you can look at the, uh, there's a little bit of fiber in oatmeal and there's a little bit of protein. And if you look at, uh, the nutrition label, uh, you'll see that you're paying a hefty price in uh, glycemic load, effectively, uh, to get that little tiny bit of fiber and a little bit of protein. So how, how I'd say show me your evidence and I'll show you mine. How about rice, especially wild rice, or people talk about the brown rice being better than the white rice? Mm -hmm. um, that, this comes up a lot as well. Um, see, I would give the same response. I say, look at your nutrition label. If if we can believe those, I hope that we can for the most part. Um, you can look at white rice and brown rice and side by side, and the nutrition labels are nearly identical. Um, yes. When you get into wild rice, you get a little bit higher fiber, and, and because of the way they're um, uh, put together, maybe not quite as much of a glycemic load for the same, uh, let's call it a dose, uh, for the same size of serving. Um, so wild rice might be slightly better than the others, um, but you really, then you have to really look at your portion size and ask yourself, am I eating what really is they're calling a serving? Uh, and that's what about fresh corn on the cob, Dave? Fresh the corn, corn on the cob. Um, what the way, my approach to fresh corn on the cob is um, basically it's in season for a very short period of time. And I tell people, you know, enjoy an ear if that, if that's your thing, I grew up in Iowa, man, I could eat four or five, six years <laughs> of corn, like three nights a week growing up. Um, I would not do that these days because uh, I don't have enough clothing at home to cover my body <laughs> if, I, if I was to do that. Um, but I know it's a very yummy thing for people, and I don't want people to be deprived when I'm talking to them about their weight. Um, but there's, it's one of those very few things, you know, what's the, what's the price to you of, of that thing what's it worth okay. to you to eat that you know what? so and some people like with many sweets it, it's i don't need very much i just you know i'll have half an ear and i'm good what you know, a, just to get that sensation what would you say about artificial sweeteners i have a friend who puts stevia on everything and in everything but you hear people who drink diet soda are heavier than people who drink regular soda what's the deal with artificial sweeteners artificial sweeteners um basically uh, have they, you know, uh, saccharin got the big rap years ago, right? The little pink packet and the right. little causes cancer and so forth. Uh, and yet it's still on the market, right? So um, either, either our food policy is bad and we're causing all kinds of cancer or it really was never that big of a deal anyway. Um, and you had the huge, you know, hundreds of times a normal dose, the little rats and they would, 
develop cancer at a higher rate or something. But bottom line is uh, nobody's really got anything on these artificial sweeteners that's terrible. Um, some people can get away with uh, using them routinely and they don't have any problem losing weight. They might have a diet soda once a day and, then, and because they're sticking so tightly to a lower carb diet, uh, they can really melt away um, their body fat and it doesn't seem to give them too much trouble. Other people with the artificial sweeteners, um, there's some theories around this that it might actually increase your insulin level like sugar does and that that might be some brain um, gut connection that we're not quite aware of yet. Um, and other people just get triggered by the sweet taste and they're down the road of um, binging and eating out of control because sweets are their thing, their trigger foods. So it really is, from my perspective, it's kind of an individual, um, individualized uh, bit of advice. And people generally know if they say, no, if I eat that, I'm just going to be, it's the sweet just gives me the same zip as if it was sugar. And then I'm just off to the races eating whatever is in my environment. So um, we just counsel them individually on that basically, but I don't have anything to tell you that those are really dangerous. Like they all like to, to uh, quote that study about uh, diet sodas and people who are over more likely to be overweight and so forth, but that's epidemiologic and not causal. It's just kind of an association. Effect. Last question, Dave, in each of the other shows, we asked for one piece of advice. The first show you mentioned, ditch high sugar drinks, if you can do one thing. The next show on fats, you said if you want to be fat, eat carbs. If you want to be skinny, eat fat. On the last show with proteins, you said eat your proteins first so you feel full sooner. What's the final piece of advice you'd like to give listeners if they can make one change in their eating habits? Recognize uh, that four grams of carbohydrate equals one teaspoon of white sugar and read labels on everything. Dave Usher, thank you for being our food guru here on Dr. Doctor. It's been a pleasure having you from the wilds of Wisconsin. God bless you. Thank you. Same to you, gentlemen. And we are back with Dr. Doctor, and I'm very interested to hear if we get the same medical trivia question from the beginning of the show <laughs> or, or if Tom gives us another one. It's very uncommon to catch Tom McGovern uh, with a blank slot on our script here, but uh, oh. we caught him. And so here he is. Tom, what's, what's the trivia question? Here, here is the, the trivia question is a 17th century saint known as Nicholas Steno but also known as Niels Stenson, has an anatomical structure named after him that's involved in the digestion of carbohydrates, a topic. So what is the structure named after him and what does it carry? Well, the name of the structure is Stenson's duct, which is also the parotid duct. So the parotid gland is a large gland kind of just in front and beneath your ear on your cheek. That's your big salivary gland. So that duct carries saliva, otherwise known as spit, but this spit contains amylase, which is the first enzyme that starts to break down carbohydrates as soon as it enters your mouth. So there you have it, the answer to our on-the-fly trivia question of the day. That's pretty good, so, Tom. Andrew, want... Yes. yes. <laughs> I, it's just got me <laughs> thinking now about what other anatomical structures do I know of that have to do with a canonized saint? And uh, exactly, I can't think of any, but I see a future trivia category <laughs> in, in one of the, the games we, we get to play. Because as our listeners may know, Tom McGovern writes trivia questions for the Catholic Medical <laughs> Association get togethers, and they are not easy, my friends. They are not easy, <laughs> but they're instructive, it's a bunch of, but they are instructive. That was kind of you. So, Andrew, what are your top three takeaways from the carb and weight loss episode? You know, I, I enjoy talking to Dave. And I guess the number one thing would be less carbs are better. And uh, for really everyone, we, we did try and talk about the controversy a little bit with general advice being more of a balanced approach. And Dave's Dave's point was that there's there's really nothing that doesn't get better by avoiding carbohydrates. So it doesn't have to be complete abstinence, but avoidance in general is a good idea for everybody. Point number two would be that there is no quote unquote healthier carb when it comes to weight loss. When we're talking, you know, 
with some 70, 80% of us who struggle with our weight, you're not alone. Most of us are in that group. Um, a carb is a carb is a carb. And it doesn't matter if it's the, the white bread or the whole grain bread or fresh fruit. If you're eating carbs, it's working against your weight loss goals. And then I guess- Yeah, I my- loved his point that the glycemic index was just a distraction and not a help. It's just what's well, the total carb. It's that's kind of good for me because it's hard to figure that out sometimes. And right. uh, it's so we much simpler. To. Yeah. It's so much simpler to just think about carbs. And um, really that that's a nice way to lead into to my point number three is that you gotta read the labels and look for hidden carbs. And he brought up the great example of how frequently the numbers don't exactly add up on the back. And and why is that? How is that allowed? He used the word sinister. You want to avoid <laughs> carbohydrates if your goal is to try and maintain a healthy BMI and be healthier in general. So carbs taste good, but are not good for you. That's a take home. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you, listeners, for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And you can find all of our episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. For those who want to dive deeper into some topics, check our website for bonus links and information for each post by clicking latest at the top of our main page. This is Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Andrew Mullally, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.